Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I'll be your host. And today my guest is Brian Nixon, but we're coming to you in a little bit of a different way than we normally do. Normally we start off with a dice roll and we have these questions that students have offered us to answer. However, as I was telling Brian just before the podcast, I said we're going to break with tradition because of tradition. <laughs> so a little bit of an irony there. We're going to do a special examination of Thanksgiving history. And we've got a couple of different things we're going to look at. And we're just going to start off by talking about some Thanksgiving stuff. Then we're going to get into some of the more, I guess you'd call it the academic discussion and the personal discussions mm -hmm. of Thanksgiving and the biblical discussions. Yes. Yes. Well, first of all, happy Thanksgiving, Luke. Right. Right. Thank and, you. And, and you as well. Yes. And to our team, Daniel, who always faithfully is there engineering and the team here at KLYT who afford us this beautiful recording studio. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And as normal, Luke, we like to start with the big picture <laughs> and then we'll, we'll hone in on it. But this, as we said, we're not rolling the die, which I kind of miss. The I die, know, the, I almost... it's kind of our thing, but it's good that we could break from tradition, even if it's for tradition's sake that we we're breaking it. We just saved ourselves from legalism because we've been doing this for so that's, long, we're almost in a rut. That's exactly so. right. <laughs> we we are showing, demonstrating firsthand that we're not legalists <laughs> when it comes to the die. But what, as you alluded to, we're gonna we're gonna tackle this from two separate um, angles, theologically or biblically, and then historically. And if we have time, we may even get into some of the ethical situations, issues, particularly as they pertain today, but only if time allows. Let's just start off with the basic. There is no biblical declaration of setting aside for Thanksgiving. It is a very American. Um, I thought for sure I read that in Job chapter 43. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but the principle of Thanksgiving is found throughout Scripture. So, you know, there isn't a, a passage that says on the third week of November, you're going to set apart a day of Thanksgiving. That is an American phenomenon, which we'll get into the historical part of it when, when we get there. But biblically, there's definitely the call for God's people to be thankful. And so I'll just hone in on two words. I mean, we could literally spend the rest of the program looking at all the scripture texts that say to be thankful. But the first biblical word is a Hebrew word, obviously found in the Old Testament, and it's hodea. It's spelled Y-A-D-A-H. And essentially, that word means to hold out a hand. And over time, metaphorically, became known as to praise, to revere, and to thank. And ultimately, the biblical writers in the Old Testament were thankful for God's blessing, for what he has given be it creation, his word, so on and so forth. So there is an underlining thankful heart found throughout the Old Testament with a variety of writers. And again, I can't, I right. can't uh, say them all. <laughs> but probably the most prominent of all the books in the Bible that call us to be thankful are the Psalms. Over and over and over, and I mean that literally, that we get, have the adage, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And that actually becomes a refrain that's found throughout the Psalms. And not only there, it's also echoed in Second Chronicles 16.34 and so on and so forth. So right. this idea, this charge, this 
command to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. So God is good and he's bestowed upon us his goodness, be it the food or the, the, the air we breathe or the you figure it out, the friends we have, we're, we're to thank God for those. And from those two, um, from that, that little refrain, you get the, the idea of we're thankful for God is good and for his love. Mm. And if anything else fails this Thanksgiving, and your life is, let's say, miserable at this point. You have COVID and you're not Somebody feeling well. Somebody drank all the eggnog and you didn't get any. That's exactly right. God's goodness and his love. And that is that refrain. But interestingly enough, in Isaiah 12, verses 4 through 5, it does, though it's not about Thanksgiving per se, Isaiah has a different um, holiday um, or remembrance in mind, but the principle is there. And in Isaiah 12, 4 through 5, it says this, And on this day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. So this, very specific, is that on a day that was earmarked um, in Isaiah's day, that they were called to give thanks to God, to call out to him, to proclaim his name to all people, and then to remember the things he's done throughout Israel's past, and then we're to praise him in song and let it be known to everyone. And in a way, I think that's what Thanksgiving is, at least in its historical um, American connotations. It, it's, it's really a, a time that we're to set apart and give God thanks for what he's done, for who we are as a people. That's the part I want to talk about mostly because, as you know, that's one of my major focuses is history. I love the fact that you tied that in because I think there is a very significant theological tie to the historical practice that we start to see mm-hmm. that all the postmodernists are trying to get rid of. Right, exactly. And then, then the final um, word in the, the Bible that I'll highlight, and then we'll dig into that historical element, is Eucharistia. Mm-hmm. which we get the term Eucharist, which is just giving thanks. And that is a specific word used in the New Testament of giving God thanks for his grace and his abundance, for his goodness, to be thankful and, and, and to praise him for what he has done. And we find this word used again throughout the New Testament. I could spend the rest of the time giving you scripture verses, but I'll just highlight a couple. Paul tells us to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good, but in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. So that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. So we're to rejoice, we're to pray, we're to give thanks, and this is what one of God's wills for us, to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. So part of God's will for his people is that we are to give thanks. We are to have a thankful heart for what he has done. And then Paul, again, says something very similar in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. And so this idea that as Christians, we are called. Mm. It's part of God's will for our life is to have a thankful heart in all we do. Doesn't say just when things are up and you, you've won the lottery and you're feeling good and your health is great, but in all circumstances, we're to give thanks. So when you pair 
the Old Testament call to give thanks, and particularly the Isaiah text of to remember for what God has done, with the New Testament that we're to give God thanks in every situation. It is fitful and right that the United States has set apart a day of thanksgiving. So I think for the rest of the program, Luke, we should probably unpack the historical connotations of you know Thanksgiving. And even though the concept has been with us for a long time, from, from the time of the Bible, as we just pointed out, it really took a people um, to come to America and separate this day as a unique day. And it all begins in 1620, as you and I know. September of that year, uh, some individuals, Christians, left Plymouth, England, and 66 days later, they dropped anchor near Cape Cod, which is by the Hudson River. And before I turn it over to you to really begin to unpack, let me just say something quickly that who are those people on the boats? Well, the boat really consisted of, of three major groups. Let's just call them those that were the workers, the, you know, pay. They, they may not have been Christians at all, but they were part of the crew, if you will, probably hired hand. But then you had Puritans and separatists. And I think our listening audience needs to know that there is a difference between Puritans and separatists. Absolutely. Puritans were those that wanted to purify the Church of England. They didn't want to separate again from the Church of England. They, In their mind, we had already separated from Roman Catholicism 100 or so years before. We now just need to purify the Church of England. So they were, if you will, the evangelical Christians of, of their day within the Church of England. Whereas the separatists were those individuals who said, hmm, Boy, the church has already gotten so corrupt, and not just the Roman Catholics, but the Church of England in England has become so corrupt that we need to separate ourselves from that church and start our own movements or denominations, if you will. So that's where you would get people like the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, and then over from Germany, the Brethren, and from Holland the Mennonites, and, right. you know, all of these different groups which were separatists. So on the boat, you had Puritans, those that wanted to purify the Church of England, and then you had separatists, and those separatists ran the gamut of what we would call different denominations today. Some would be proto-Baptist, some would be Congregationalists, some would be Presbyterian, and the lot. But those were the people who were on the boat when they left in 1620. And I'll let you take it from there, Luke. I love that because the tensions that were felt in the early colonies were often between those groups as they became more and more stable. Really, they stopped living in survival mode. Then the luxury of differentiation came upon them as it does in all societies that are being formed. But that first year was a very hard year. The, the people that came across, only 53 of them survived mm -hmm. that winter. And this is where the whole narrative of Thanksgiving comes in. Now, I am not, and neither is Brian, we're not unaware of some of the tensions that are being presented in a more modern narrative. But I want to take those and look at those in tension with what is being said in the original events that took place. So 
Number one, there are several, and I brought some excerpts because this is something that we prepped for just today. I called Brian earlier this morning and I said, hey, you know, let's let's do something specific. Instead of doing the die roll, how does that sound to you? And he says, you know what, let's do it. So we prepped for today. It's Again, we're breaking with tradition. No die roll. We're prepping. I don't yeah. know what's happening to yeah. this, Brian. I but. mean, who, who would ever think you'd prepare for an actual program? I mean, right. you know, instead of winging it, you know, it's, it. we actually came with notes in front of us. Exactly. And so I brought some, some journal articles. I'm not going to read you the whole journal article, obviously, but I wanted to just read some things that have been said. And all of this is within the last 20 years. It's becoming less balanced as time goes on to where in history, it becomes very important to hear everyone's voice, right? That's what history is about. It's not about deciding whose voice needs to get heard. It's about hearing everyone's voice and finding a way to do that. Now, for a long time, there's only been certain voices that we are aware of in the general culture because only certain texts were translated, only certain narratives were preserved. Some people did not have a way to write or to preserve the narratives that talked about them but we're getting better at finding those things. And so for a little while, there was this sort of golden age where there's the major narrative, in other words, the thing that you largely have heard culturally. And then there are what are called meta-narratives. They're things that come alongside the main narrative in the discipline of history. And they're supposed to supplement what's there and if necessary, even show contradiction to what's there. But they're not intended to replace. In history, even if something is not true, you don't replace it. You let it stand because it was said and it was what was thought at the time. It's a primary responsibility of the historian to preserve even those things that are not true and those things that are contradictory in order to have a fuller understanding of where people were and what they were thinking during that time. So what we're seeing right now, and I hope not all of you are going to sleep yet, but <laughs> what we're seeing right now is that there's a big push to completely replace older narratives to where they're not even known, where they are completely sidelined. And that's one of the things I picked up with these journal articles that I want to just read from, where one of these deals with the current website, as I understand it, or a current website that is preserving or intending to preserve the story of Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Settlement, and it's intended for grade school children to go on there. It's an interactive website. It's highly thought of within the educational community. And one of the things that it states here, today, Americans often associate Thanksgiving with parades, football, family, and turkey. And when they typically envision the first Thanksgiving, images of pilgrims and Indians sitting at a long banquet table eating turkey and pumpkin pie come to mind. Now, this is from Jacqueline Kniep, investigating the first Thanksgiving organization of American historians, which is associated with Oxford Magazine of History, and that's number three, published in 2004. Just so you know, these are not just things that are being made up. Now, it says, yet this is not what happened. The Plymouth Plantation website challenges our beliefs about what actually occurred at the first Thanksgiving, and it puts the first Thanksgiving in quotation marks. Although the gathering which took place between the English colonists and the Wampanoag, that's the Indians that joined them, the Native Americans, in the autumn of 1621 in Pawtucket, New Plymouth, has become known as the first Thanksgiving. It would not have been considered Thanksgiving by the people involved. The website notes, so what did happen 382 years ago? Now, as it goes on to explain, one of the statements that it makes is, since this is being given to grade school children, 
It says, in the first lesson, students learn how historians have used primary sources from the Harvest Festival, again in quotation marks, what historians now refer to as the events of the first Thanksgiving, to prove that the accepted story of the first Thanksgiving is a myth. Now, there's some subtle things that are going on here. The fact that there is a a cultural idea of what happened and a cultural narrative that's current to us as Americans and the fact that that may not match up with the actual historical depiction does not mean that the first Thanksgiving was not a Thanksgiving. And there's there's several other things that I would went, I would mention. There's another article that takes we, the same tack. And, and while you're looking at that article, let me just jump in there, um, Luke, because you, to say it's a myth goes against the, the concrete history. Because what, what I've pointed out is in 1620, you know, these separatists and Puritans left. They, they land uh, in near Cape Cod. Then they cross the Massachusetts Bay in 1621 where they meet the Native Americans. And there was some discord. There was some things. But interestingly enough, one chronicler, a separatist, Edward Winslow, mm-hmm. gave a description. You know, he wrote down what happened. Our harvest began gotten in our governor sent four men on fouling that so we might have a special manner to rejoice together after we have gathered the fruits of our labors and then he goes on to explain what's going on so to say that it's a myth gives the wrong impression because something in history actually transpired Absolutely. now now we may have blown it up we may have misinterpreted it or whatever but the reality is Something in history did happen, and and we we have a written record of what transpired. But keep going. Absolutely, and I want to point this out because the quote that you brought when I looked at that, I want you to read just that those last couple of sentences, if you could, because one of the journal articles that I'm reading quoted from that letter, but they left something really important out. If you'll read that last couple of sentences, and it says, and they went out speaking of the natives. Um, they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it not be always so plentiful as it was this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. That entire last sentence they left out of the quote. Now, this is ironic because these are the people that are wanting every, every voice to be included. And yet they leave out a very clearly indicative phrase as to the purpose of this event, to say nothing of the the earlier ones. But he just ends it and it says, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation, bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And then he goes on. He just footnotes the thing and says, although historians have long since debunked the myths surrounding the pilgrims in the first Thanksgiving, illustrators, filmmakers, and television producers continue to generate new Thanksgiving images and immigrant groups add new ingredients to the Thanksgiving table. And he says, yet despite the strong and varied responses, the first Thanksgiving myth has not faded for it remains a basic building block of America's national identity. So he's doing several things here. He's selectively editing to try to remove one of the few references we have to that event that happened in 1621. Removes the reference to God and God's goodness, obviously. Exactly. And in doing so, I believe he very unfairly treats it because of the point you made earlier, Brian, where it's very clear that this was a organic Christian community. Now, they may have practiced their Christianity a little bit different from each other and definitely different than how we view it. 
But one of the interesting things that happened when I did some research into this particular era, not into the Thanksgiving side, but the Salem witch trials, I dug into the early history of New England. And they made it clear when they came here, it said that they were intending to form a community of Christians that were able to offer to God the type of society that had never before existed. Mm -hmm. And they made good on that. We definitely disagree with some of the choices that they made, the way that they governed themselves, the lack of separation of church and state, which actually became a big tension within the colonies. And it's why Roger Williams went to Rhode Island. That was one of the major tensions that was there. But in 1641, they created something called the Body of Liberties, which was a, a book of laws that was all based on scripture. And it was collaboration between the magistrates and the clergy of that day. Mm -hmm. They wanted every law that they had, every aspect of their society be governed by scripture. And so it's highly unlikely that you would have someone of the stature of a governor, a magistrate, or a prominent pastor of that era who would countenance something so grandiose as a three-day feast, which is what it became, with over 90 natives and all of the people from the colony getting together for some arbitrary reason. Some of these folks in having selectively edited, go on to say that this was not a significant event because no one talked about it afterwards. It was not something that was considered to be a time of Thanksgiving. It obviously had no special interest. And they try to make a big point of going into some of the narratives and making it as if it was no big deal. It was just this thing that happened, mm -hmm. which I think is entirely disingenuous. Yes, yeah, because it was important enough for Edward Winslow to, to write it down and, and to note it. Interestingly, I think also is a lot of times we put on rosy glasses mm -hmm. concerning the event. Oh, you know, everyone was getting along and boy, you know, religious freedom. And there's there's nuggets that, that are that, that are true. But we also have to understand that these Englishmen and women came in. Really, there was a confederation of multiple tribes, yes. uh, the, the Native American. And as a matter of fact, the Wampanoag, who you mentioned, they end up fighting against the Mohawks um, in some of this. So in a way, the, the broader, and though we don't have, you know, the details because of the written records were not there for, for the various um, tribes, but they walk into some tribal differences. There's a lot more to this than, than what a lot of people, they just want to reinvent it or retell it according to a new narrative. But to leave out what is clearly stated and what is clearly articulated in the records is disingenuous, as you, you've pointed out. And I, I love that because this is, this is exactly the segue that it's, it's going to go into the actual aspect of this. So they want many of the modern historians, they want to do away with the God connection, mm -hmm. even though, and, and I think that shows a very poor knowledge of the type of community that this was, mm -hmm. despite its faults and its failings. This was a community who were, despite great difficulty, trying to do their best to live out their faith. And everything had some type of significance to them. Now, the, the interesting thing is, even though there's the letter from Winslow, two years later in 1623, there's another celebration of exactly the same kind, only it's bigger. And the governor mm -hmm. himself, Winthrop, is the one who authorizes it. And in that anecdote, which ironically is something you can find on the History of Thanksgiving on the History Channel's website itself, they actually preserved this, which is, I, I found very interesting since they're not exactly, we would call uh, middle of the road on some things, but they did a good job and they, they bring this fact out, 1623, another feast 
is mm-hmm. brought together, and it's commissioned specifically in thanks for the bounty mm-hmm. of the harvest because there had been a f- almost a famine. And so these are identical circumstances where you have an extremely hard winter. You have m- half the people die. Mm-hmm. And do you not think that they're going to be grateful for their first harvest and that they would not invite the friends mm-hmm. that allowed that to happen, which were larger than Native Americans? You know, if, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his full name. He's known as Squanto, mm-hmm. but I think it's Tasquanto, Tass- mm-hmm. I think is the, the full yeah. name. Yeah, Squanto, for our listeners, he was a captured Native American um, from the Pactuex tribe who then escaped and made his way back to North America. So he knew of the English ways and he was, if you will, a liaison between the newly arrived pilgrims, as we call them, and the various tribes. So Squanto befriended these Englishmen and it was Squanto really who began to teach the Englishmen how to cultivate corn and, and catch fish exactly according right. to the natives and, and, all, and all voluntarily, yeah. I might mm-hmm. add. This was not under compulsion. Yeah. And and Squanto was very important in helping the the separatists figure out how to build alliances with tribes. And as yes. I've already pointed out, the tribes weren't always on the same terms, if you will. They were there was some fighting going on. So Squanto really is one of the heroes of of this early story. And and exactly as you stated, he actually helped negotiate the treaty that was signed just a few weeks before this mm-hmm. feast between Massasoit, who was the chieftain of the Wampanoags, mm-hmm. and he, unfortunately, when Squanto came back, his tribe was completely wiped out. Right. And so he allied himself with the Wampanoags, mm-hmm. and that was very advantageous for the colonists. So one of the things I want to point out here is that like certain Native American tribes, modern day tribes have declared this a day of mourning. And that's something that's the official statement of several of them. And it's anachronistic in that it imports into this event all of the things that developed later that were not Mm -hmm. parts or even intentions within Mm -hmm. these communities. And one cannot do that historically in a genuine manner and say, well, because all these bad things happened, Therefore, those were countenanced at this event. This was nothing to do with that. And it did have to do with God. And as you pointed out, these people were evangelical. And some of them did not do this appropriately. Roger Williams did. He had friendly relationships with many Native American tribes, and he would evangelize them peacefully. There was no compelling that was going on. That was, again, one of his major gripes against the colony is that there were certain Puritan ministers who were extremely heavy-handed both within their own community, their own church, and against the Native Americans. And he spoke out against that, and for that, he was banished. So I want to make very clear, this was not this white European expansionist, militaristic group of people who came in bent on this malicious takeover. These were people who were looking for a place to live freely, and there were other people there who were already living freely, albeit somewhat conflicted between tribes of their own view. And they partnered together to help these people survive. And then these people are giving thanks for that and sharing it with their friends. So in this sense, it's not any different than the normal cultural narrative, even though maybe, oh, well, we didn't have a banquet table. That's inconsequential. Mm -hmm. The spirit of what was happening there and the cooperation and the joint celebration where I even read one that said, because in the the letter that uh, Winslow wrote, he said that they exercised their arms. 
So they were they were yeah. shooting at stuff. Yeah. They were having fun. They were yeah. doing contests or whatever. Some have said that the Indians or the Native Americans, they only showed up because there were guns that were being fired, and this was an uneasy thing that was happening. None of that's in the historical record. In fact, Winslow's letter goes completely against that, that these were guests that were brought in, and they brought their own things of their own volition. Mm-hmm. Not that it was some uneasy partnership. Yeah. This was... Yeah, and, and another thing, let me point out uh, of that I, I think Europeans did do a lot of damage, and, yes. and we're, we know that. And we, you have already pointed out that Squanto's tribe was largely decimated, not from the separatists who arrived, right. but from previous campaigns of people who brought disease. Exactly. Disease, more than anything else, decimated killed off many Native American tribes, and that is a catastrophe. That is something that, you know, we regret. But the reality is that's just how existence is. People bring disease and pestilence with them. It's It's been happened since the beginning of, of time. And Correct. so we need to acknowledge that that was a catastrophe. But to your point, which I think is a very important point, let's not rewrite what we know historically happened and right. let's keep focused on it and i think it's very important to point out what you already iterated and that is in 1621 they had this initial feast but then in 1623 the second thanksgiving celebration commenced and william bradford at the time called for a you know a fast uh, a feast and thanksgiving yes and so it really to to discount it to say oh you know this is a myth or this is this didn't happen as such just goes against the preponderance of evidence and whether you like that the europeans came over or you don't the the reality is they came over we're here and we can look back and go boy your the european footprint has been very very harmful and and negative in in some elements but it's been positive and other elements, you know, you mentioned, you know, the foundation of the Baptists and how they were very, very gentle with um, the the Native Americans initially. They weren't the only group. You know, you yeah. had the Quakers, William yes. Penn, and the whole group that they believe strongly in a peaceful coexistence. And what what could the Quakers do to ensure that the Native Americans were treated fairly and and such? And of course. You know, treaties were signed, and and some of them later, you know, by the government were were that. Then later, the brethren came from Germany, and they too tried to live peacefully. So, to throw out all Christians and say Christians acted with dishonor towards the Native Americans would not really square away with the totality of of the historical record. Now, there were many, many Christians who acted. I mean, just as poorly as their previous medieval counterparts. Exactly. But there were Christians out there who were trying to, um, as you say, live peaceably before the, the natives, live faithfully before the natives and were sharing their faith and doing so in a in a camaraderie. Yes. Um, so so I, I, I think that's really important. Luke, I because we only have a half hour. I we could <laughs> the we, constant refrain the the, co- the the constant the constant thing. So so we 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 designated 1621, 1623, 
Um, we we highlighted certain key players, be it Squanto or William Bradford or um, the chronicler Edward Winslow. Thanksgiving takes on a modern flair. And, and, and this is where I think, you know, maybe it's fair game for some of the, those who want to reinvent or, or poke fun at it. But, you, you know, in, I'll just give you a nutshell of some of the, the highlights of how Thanksgiving came to be I known. Have one other thing to yes. share. Yes. In this process, and I don't know if you'll mention her or not, but what we often know of as modern Thanksgiving came from a lady by the name of Sarah Hale. That's right. Who was a magazine editor. That's right. And she pushed this and pushed it. And I'll let you give the details on that. But the reason I wanted to just mention her briefly is because all the things we're talking about that were indicative of this original event, the camaraderie, the removal of boundaries that were cultural, that were religious. I mean, these people did not agree religiously, but they were able to come together in celebration of a particular event that was really one of the most important events in their community. She pushed this on a more modern narrative some 200 years after the fact right. and pushed Thanksgiving over and over because of this specific quality to bring unity in thanks right. among many people of different backgrounds. And she found that as a unique American characteristic. Yes. So, something there was that. But here's just some, some dates and persons. Just 1789, George Washington issues the first Thanksgiving proclamation calling for Americans to express gratitude. 1817, New York becomes the first state to adopt Thanksgiving. 1827, you already mentioned her, Sarah Hale launched the campaign to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday. She was a writer, magazine editor, as you pointed out. She also wrote the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Right. And so she worked for 36 years doing exactly what you said. She saw that in Thanksgiving, in this initial coming together of Europeans with Native Americans, there was something that we should celebrate. And whether or not there's good parts and bad parts, and we know there are good parts and bad parts that did come of that initial meeting, she thought there was something there worth celebrating. So in 1863, Abraham Lincoln instituted the holiday during the height of the Civil War. And um, he set the date as the final Thursday of November. So in 1863, Lincoln sets it in law and it becomes the law and we have celebrated it ever since. But as we've just pointed out, the concept goes back to early American history. And before that, in biblical history, it is, it is paramount. And I dare say, Luke, obviously we're two Christians right. and we're, we're, we are definitely taking the Christian um, angle. But from every angle, I think uh, Thanksgiving is one of those things that transcend religion. Yes. It transcends your nationality. Everyone, be it you're, you're sitting in Africa or, you know, let's say in northern Nigeria, or you're sitting in, you know, somewhere in Syria, you're, you're in Finland, you, you fill in. Everyone has a sense of gratitude, hopefully. And whether they believe in God or not, they're thankful for just something. And so it is a universal quality as what you were getting at with Sarah Hale. She was noticing that, you know, that though America had this historical event, it's a universal quality that, that we are, should be thankful. But as Christians, we're thankful first and foremost for something very specific, for God in Christ coming and living among us. So th these Absolutely. are very, very things. But what, what? Some final thoughts, Luke. I know we, we're we're wrapping it up, but some final thoughts. 
Oh, I, I love how you put that together because rather than allow the modern narrative to completely remove something that's beautiful, I mean, there's something just, there's something beautiful about two groups of people who have been forged together by hardship that come from different backgrounds. And I see this as I study history over and over, people that are being conquered or people that are the conquerors. And that's not what was happening at the early Thanksgiving. There was no conquering there. These people, in fact, the colonial folks were much lower down and they were not there for militaristic reasons. But even in countries like the the Muslim invasion of India, what happened is while the leadership took a particular tack, those people began to fuse together because of their common hardships in that mm -hmm. era. And there is some beauty there that has nothing to do with the celebration of a particular doctrine or religion, but it's something that's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And it happens, we know of this in World War I, where the soldiers came out of the trenches on Christmas Day and they had food together. There's something about that that's just a thing of beauty. Seeing this happen in very earliest records and being able to preserve that now as part of the American spirit that triumphs over all of the ugly things in the world. It's, it's something that I would never want to lose. And I don't want someone to say, well, I'm not going to be thankful because I'm taking a particular group. And I saw multiple posts like this mm -hmm. and multiple articles that are like this. So I encourage you as a Christian, mm -hmm. when you think about Thanksgiving, don't just celebrate it in the way that you celebrate it, but find a way to share it with someone else. Because what a great bridge for the gospel, just as you mentioned, Brian, to say, hey, you know what, I know you have things to be thankful for in your life, but the reason why I am so thankful is because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what a great way to share that, but to continue to keep alive something that I think is not just a religious thing, but a cultural thing that's so necessary for preserving the good in society. Amen to that. All right. Well, if you have any additional questions for us, I know we didn't answer any direct questions today, but hopefully a lot of indirect ones. We're able to solve for some of the things that have been said in, in history, and you have a little bit better understanding about that. By all means, send us some ideas you might want us to talk about. You can reach us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Share this with somebody else. And once again, God bless. Till next time.